Let's talk about sex. It's vital for a healthy marriage. Part two with Laura Brotherson. Hi, my name is Trina Glines, and this is Elevate Your Marriage and Life podcast. This podcast is for those who want to create happiness daily, even among the chaos that marriage and family life will bring. Get ready to elevate your marriage and life today. Welcome back, ladies. This is podcast number 15. It is part two of Laura Brotherson's interview. I hope you enjoyed last week. If you haven't listened to the part one, please stop this now and go back and listen to part one first because obviously it builds upon each other. Um, I have had many women tell me how much they have enjoyed listening to Laura's interview that I, you know, we talked about things that women don't dare talk about, don't know how to ask, um, or even who to ask. And I hope uh, that I have provided a safe place for you to learn and understand how to get connected to your sexual being, because that is part of who you are. And it's such an important piece to have a healthy relationship sexually with your husband. And I'm a firm believer that intimacy in marriage is a gift from God as a reprieve from the stresses of life. It is meant for us to enjoy and to have fun and to grow closer together. But in order for us to have that, ladies, we have to know how our bodies work. We have to know how our husband's bodies work. We need to understand how to communicate to our man how our body works. But often we don't even understand our body well enough to tell him. And this is kind of the part that we had gotten to in last week's um, part one, where she was kind of going through with us um, how often we have these negative core beliefs. We have these false beliefs um, that can really prohibit us from embracing or learning or accepting um how intimacy will work. And it's really important for couples to be able to figure out how to find pleasure for both partners. And in order to do that, you need to understand your body. And the only way we can understand our body is to really kind of dive in and figure it out. And that's the part we're talking about right now with with Laura. Um, I will repeat the the last question from part one. And so we will pick up right there and let her finish that off. I hope you've enjoyed this. I sure enjoy sharing it with you. But the point being is that the couples do need to figure out what is needed there. And and so initially couples can start with just kind of making a point without being goal-oriented about figuring out what what do you like? Do you like movement? Do you need pressure? Am I starting too early in the arousal scale process? Do I need to wait till you're more in a five, six range instead of at a one, two range? Do I need to, um, you know, what, what, and they basically have to do trial and error because I can't even answer that for them because everybody's different. I can suggest some different things they can try, but, but that usually needs to be something that a couple needs to at least kind of make a point of saying, okay, let's just try some things. Um, let's try different, you know, my, my fingers versus your fingers, um, you know, with, 
a little bit extra lubrication versus just whatever we normally have. I mean, those, that, that simple of a change can make a difference. Yeah. So that's, that's really important. And I will say though, that there are, I do have one couple, one client right now where she did feel like, okay, Laura, I've been married long enough. I think 17, 18 years. Um, and she's just like, I, I still haven't had an orgasm and I'm thinking I'm going to do what we've kind of talked about, which is it's, it's so uncomfortable for me to have my husband kind of there paying it like what spectating is what we call it spectatoring mm-hmm. spectatory you know either way it goes both ways but um, yeah. if he's there it's I, I I'm not able to relax and so for her that created a dilemma where she was like okay and you know again for me even as a sex therapist and a you know very not a fan I mean very opposed to masturbation mm-hmm. on multiple levels for multiple good reasons um, this is not masturbation. This is learning. This is a woman trying to catch up to a man who has touched himself for a million times his whole life. So this is not masturbation at all. Yes. Do you get me? Yes, I totally get you. And I love this. I love this. In fact, I had a client. We were, um, I was going to meet with her and I had told her to read your book. And in that part, there's a part in your book. I can't remember where it was at where you said you might have to use your own hand. Text me oh my gosh, is this okay? And I'm like, yes, this is okay. It really is because it is right. We don't know our bodies like they do. We really don't. And if we don't know it, how are we supposed to express to them what we need? Right. We don't even know. Yeah. And, and in that context too, Trina, people need to remember that within the context of lovemaking itself, there's a little bit more leeway than I think a lot of us understand because you're, you're sharing something. It's different than if either of you are out doing this on your own because you need a stress relief tool, you know, that's completely different intention. Okay. And that's why we're talking about something different. Awesome. So, and, and so maybe, you know, for those that that feels a little weird with, then yeah, we're just, maybe we're just laying in the bed together and he's just, maybe, maybe he's even watching. I, I've had clients do this where he's even watching TV while she's laying there right beside him under the bed, trying to figure out what feels good with her clitoris. He's right there. He might be holding her hand. He might be. And if that helps people feel better, I'm, I, Hey, I, I was poster child for that. So, I mean, I, I get that, yeah. but, but you got to just kind of think through, and this is where a lot of chapter two of my next, next book talks all about thoughts and core beliefs. And when you've got a bunch of negative core beliefs and negative thinking about sex, it's going to be an inhibitor. So part of the answer to this is also making sure we're addressing unnecessary inhibitions. Okay. Yeah. I really like that. I really, in fact, I've had some of my clients even do the, the, the assignments with the left hand or your, the hand you don't usually use to kind of try and get those core beliefs out, you know, that, you know, your blueprint, your blueprint that's messing up with your, you know, of what the reality of intimacy should be in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So there is quite a few things that people can do. And, and so you really just kind of especially need to figure out what's going on with, you know, the clitoral stimulation that you need. But remember too, there's a lot more than just this. We're almost thinking a little bit like a man right here where couples come to, to me and they're, they're like, okay, we're not having an orgasm. And we immediately go to a technique or a position. 
that's almost the last place that we usually need to go. Really? Okay, yeah. yeah. So that's important to know. So it's more emotional. It, usually it's more that, can, well, so let me just read through my T's. Okay. So number one is transforming your sexual identity. Check or no check. Thoughts and beliefs, check or no check. Tenderness, thoughtfulness, trust, that's that emotional connection. Check or no check. Four, time, do I make it a priority? Do I spend any time on it? Five, do, five, do, we, do I have a transition process to go from mommy mode to lover mode? Mm -hmm. Six, do, I, do we talk, connect enough? Mm -hmm. Seven, do I get enough touch, the right kind inside and outside the bedroom? Eight, are we doing the right techniques? Do I understand how my body's wired? That's key for te technique. That's eight chapters in. That's eight chapters in. Wow. Nine wow. is how tuned in are we? Can we read each other outside the bedroom and inside the bedroom? Because women don't want to be directing traffic inside the bedroom. Uh, so We're true. trying to focus here. It's so true. And then 10 is teasing and playfulness. 11 is treats, the variety, novelty, fun. And 12 is transcendence and surrender. Mm -hmm. Many couples, many women, based on your question, get stuck in chapter 12, which is, I'm a little bit nervous to let go. Let go. And so maybe it's not about clitoral stimulation. Yeah. It might be that I don't feel safe enough to let go, yeah. or I have some hangups that I can't let go with, or I'm just worried that I'm going to do something dumb. Yeah, I can see So that. we've got 12 areas to check in on. Yeah, and I'm and so that's why I wanted to pull away from just the technique of clitoral stimulation, even though it is super important. I just yeah. want to balance it for you. Yes, I think that's super important. Um, well, my next question this actually is from one of my ladies. She wanted to know how do you approach? Say you've been learning. She's been learning and reading your book and and studying and trying to figure herself out. Um, she's been married for you know. 26 years actually as well. Um, and she, she wanted to know how, what's the best way to, to approach your husband in what your needs might be or what you want to try because she's tried and it didn't work. And then, you know, we become vulnerable and even trying to voice any of that. And they, you know, either debunked it or it was like, I'm not interested in that. She's asked to do the sensate focus, and he just flat out said no. And so that puts us in a place of, you know, questioning ourselves. Yep. And that's a, that's a hard place to be in, but we can't change him. Yep. Him. So what's your suggestion for women that want to improve, want to try new, but their partner isn't necessarily on, on board with that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. I mean, you know, I, I do a, a lot of my work is actually sexual addiction as much as it is sex therapy. And my first thought almost kind of goes to usually when a guy is not interested in working on this, there's something going on because most guys are fairly interested in working on this. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if either the relationship is just not safe Mm -hmm. And because sometimes, again, I have more of that kind of dominant personality and, and some women uh, and a lot of other women do. And sex is actually a very scary, vulnerable endeavor, not only for women, but I'm going to shift it now to men. Mm -hmm. And so we could just have some, you know, we've got, I mean, their identity, their ego, their competence is on the line. There's a lot of things on the line for a guy in this circumstance leaving addiction out of it. But then if I move into that addiction realm, 
I think there could be shame if he is doing things on the side. Uh, again, good boy syndrome type stuff where they feel ashamed of their sexuality. They feel threatened if, they're, if they have to look at it too closely. Mm -hmm. And so I almost would need a little bit more context of we almost need to figure out what's going on in the relationship yeah. first. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And does, is there a piece that men just kind of have this, I don't know if there's a stereotype of men should just know. They should yes. know what to do, and yeah. then they honestly don't. Right. But then when we ask for something specific or, you know, is, are we offending them in any yeah. way? Does yeah. that play part in it at all? Yeah. So great question. And one of the ways I explain it to clients, it's kind of like, so women, our identity is kind of built up in like our children, our family, our home. That's kind of what makes us feel like we're okay. If our kids are good and functioning and decent, we feel like we're an okay person. For men, the equivalent is how well they provide, how competent they are, and oftentimes how happy their wife is because they're wife pleasers. And so we're kind of messing with a couple of different areas for them, um, of, of them being even questioned, of them being not competent, the sexual insecurity that men also have, because they're, even though sex is out there a little more for them, my next book, the third book, which will be Knowing Him Sexually, I think we'll go with the sex word instead of the intimacy word for them. <laughs> primarily to validate their sexuality yeah. because they don't get any good sexuality affirmation either. Mm -hmm. And so with that, we can, you know, so for men, we do need to kind of look at maybe what they're feeling there, but, but now back to kind of the specific scenario, obviously if I only had access to her, because I'm a big believer, I'm a systems trained therapist that's what lmf uh, marriage and therapists are and so i know that i change one part of a system i'm going to change the whole system mm -hmm. so i only need one person that will get this and it will change things for the better and what that might look like for that woman is she starts figuring out a way to love connect affirm feed him to where he's very more open to whatever she wants. Yeah. And it's maybe not what she wants to do because it's, I'm the one who always has to change everything maybe. Yeah. But one person can change things if they'll just dig in and go for it. That is so true. That's, that's what that would look like. Yeah. The women I work with, that's one of my big things. We can't change him. All we can do is work on you. And then yeah. they slowly start seeing the changes in their yeah. spouse. It's amazing. It really is yeah. amazing. Because we're a system. We're a circle. Yeah. Yeah. You can't change one without changing everything. That is true. That is so true. Okay. All right. What you discuss on page 250, the possibility of woman of a woman using a vibrator if needed yeah. um, to help learn how to climax. climax. Um, but you also advise that it should be a temporary solution um, because of desensitizing um, and not being able to duplicate it manually. So yes. my question to you is, First, there, there's kind of a, a two-part question here. Do you feel this way about all sex toys or aids, number one? And two, um, if a woman has only been able to climax with a vibrator, is it wrong to use it consistently? Yeah, no, these are great questions, and I'm glad you're asking them. And I, I do address them 
a little bit also on my website and my q and a i've got there as well but the only the only Con the context of that first book and the way I answered it is just to make sure people are aware that if you, that a vibrator is difficult to recreate. And so if a vibrator is kind of the, the first way that you experience an orgasm, it can be harder to experience it another way. That said, if I've been married 20 years and I've never had an orgasm, and it's affecting our marriage, and I have an orgasm with a vibrator, and we both feel fine about it, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Heavens, are you yeah. kidding? The objective, the whole point of these toys or, or aids is, is twofold. Number one, they might be functional. They might be necessary. And number two, they do add to my treats chapter, which is fun, variety, novelty, especially important for a long-term marriage. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that it it that's the context. You 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 go, girl. Whatever okay. we need. All right. All right. My ladies are gonna love this. They're gonna love this. Okay. So I have this kind of goes into the next one that you just kind of. Mm -hmm. Said, I've been married 26 years. Hormones obviously slow down for both of us at this point. Um, so, <laughs> what do you suggest to encourage and help couples keep the flame lit? Obviously, you talk about these treats package, you know, that we probably need to be implementing more. Is there anything else that you would suggest on, you know, helping keeping that flame going when? You're kind of just used to each other, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 22 or whatever. Yeah. And now they actually do need a little bit of a warm-up period as well. They need to kind of decompress from work. They need to kind of put some of these stressors off their mind. I love this right now because I know my husband has been frustrated that he needs, like, booting up. <laughs> so this is going to be good to know that, hon, it's, it's normal right okay yeah and that's why we're normal that's why I'm normalizing it and again this is information that a lot of people don't have so they think something's wrong but they just don't realize that oh um, more you know being human comes into play and aging comes into play and you might need to adjust a little to it just yeah and so the two basic concepts to that people need to think about is more emotional connection and foreplay and more stimulation physical within okay awesome. that's just what you need to add yeah. it's not a big deal yeah yeah right. yeah and knowing the benefits of it it's so worth it yeah it's so worth the the benefits and the yeah. connection it creates um okay so this is a funny question in your research have you found that being intimate so many times a week provides the relationship with a healthier environment? And if so, what is that number? There's <laughs> <laughs> the million dollar question, Trina. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, and I'm, I'm not a fan of giving a number just because sure is shooting, somebody will use it to kind of beat yeah, another person over the head with it. Yeah. But, Having said that, um, I do. The, the research tells us that healthy marriages tend to have sex somewhere in the one to three times a week range. That's that's kind of on the. I, I guess I shouldn't say that's kind of on the high side. That's kind of the healthy healthy couples. Okay. Again, obviously, there's not not a hundred percent of couples are healthy couples, so that's going to be high for maybe a lot of people that we're talking to. Yeah. Um, me personally, as a sex therapist, I 
kind of in the back of my mind am sort of, unless there's a really good reason not to, I'm sort of shooting for couples to at least have sex once a week. Okay. Yeah. And my, yeah. that's my minimum. One to two would be kind of idealish. Yeah. Again, it depends on age, depends on any other uh, physical, psychological issues in the marriage, but we start to run into more problems when there's too much space between, and, and it signals other issues in my book, which is I'm all about the wholeness and completeness and oneness concept, and so it, it kind of leaves a little bit of that out, especially when we know that most men feel love through affection and through touch of some kind. Mm -hmm. So I just know that the marriage is probably not in its strongest state. Yeah. I'm looking at more than less than that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Cause I know in times that we've gone through dry spells, all of a sudden any issues bigger, all the problems are as big as yeah. mountains, you know, yeah. and yeah. then we'll all find time to have that intimate moment. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, why was I stressed about that? Why was I worried about that? You know? <laughs> like I said, it's a healer. It really is. I do believe that. Well, and Trina, just to just to kind of support that point, remember, there's a whole bunch of dopamine and oxytocin, especially that you're missing out on. Again, this isn't your reason to go have sex by itself, but but I just want to remind people of when you've got a fair bit of that oxytocin flowing on a fairly regular basis from touch, eye contact, affection, sex any of these things, then that that's why the frequency is sort of important in the bigger picture. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. That was great. Perfect, all right. This is a funny one too. <laughs> if you could pick one thing that women could do or think about to help them get in the mood, what would it be? Okay, uh, that's a good one. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> listening to, I think, I think the main thing to think about for, for women is that because we're not thinking about it very often, so, so men, my kind of uh, analogy is that, you know, men have this window that opens 15 times a day, sex window that opens 15 times a day, and during sex, we're trying to focus on that window and, and close all the other 15 yeah. windows. One of the gist, the basic gist is any way, anything that we can do that can help us to kind of have it on the forefront a little, that can make a difference. So a lot of my clients, the, one of the first things I kind of prescribe is any of my audiobooks, my podcasts, or other good books that are on audio, because it plays then in kind of the background of your life. Mm -hmm. And you start to have it kind of be a little bit more of a normalizing influence. So that's, that's one. A second one is even just music. Some people, you know, they're like, oh, I never listen to the radio, or I never listen to, you know, popular music. I just listen to, you know, church music, or I just listen, and I'm just like, well, that's great, except if you're trying to develop your spiritual, your sexual relationship, you might want to tweak that a little. Yeah. Because music yeah. is a really easy it's way to get in the mood. Big influencer. Big influence. Big influence. A third one is uh, texting playful texts to your spouse during the day. Mm -hmm. Being connecting, being te that teasing and playfulness. That tea, that teasing and playfulness is probably my number one if I have to choose one thing to look at how a marriage is doing, I'm going to look at how playful they are mm -hmm. because that really 
kind of encompasses so much of everything. And, and, and I'm talking from a non-naturally playful person. I'm very uh, type A. And so, like, I, I can be spontaneous if I schedule it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so this is a learned behavior for me. I had to learn this. But um, so some of these things can help just keep it a little bit more on the forefront. Okay. I love that. I love that. Well, and that kind of takes us over into, um, and we kind of talked about this at the beginning. This question was on how much energy should a woman spend on making sure intimacy gets given enough attention in her marriage? You mentioned in the book to use details like sheets and nighties, smells, candles. Should this be something women should spend more time thinking and planning because isn't that part of the emotional part for us if we're actually like putting the night together and planning it and that's part of foreplay for me yeah that is our foreplay you know our foreplay begins trina the minute the previous lovemaking ends okay all right i like all the context that's emotional context that's physical context that's everything that occurs between then and now oh my gosh that's all foreplay i love that I have these candles that sit over the top of my bed, and I remember a, a friend of mine came in the house and was just looking, and she saw my candles. She goes, "Those have been lit." I'm like, "Yes, they've been lit," and she was like shocked. I thought it was so funny. I'm like, of course I've lit them. <laughs> That's just sad. I know sad. it really is. It really is because there's like a whole nother part of intimacy that I think a lot of women have not been able to embrace and experience. Yeah. So yeah. that's the reason we are talking about it. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, and a couple of thoughts about that, Trina. So number one, a lot of times women need these things for our sexual fulfillment. We need that context. We need the, to wear the lingerie. We need the, the candles, and the dimly lit and the music. We need that. So a lot of that can just be because it's functional. It helps us. Yeah. Um, a lot of it can also be, you know, and now if I just kind of go, you know, back to not just those specific treats. Well, well, and let me just continue on with this is also what makes long term marriages able to really go the distance with possess with to create a sex extraordinary marriage is that we're constantly doing something that's a little new, a little different because the brain really does like novelty. Oh. And so if we can uh, let it have a little bit of that, again, that can go too far, which is where addiction takes you. Now you're addicted to novelty, almost that same reward system in the brain. And so, um, yeah, it's really important for long-term purposes as well. But, but kind of um, when women, if women don't make sex a priority, you do run into some dangers. We've got divorce on the, on the table. We've got just dissatisfaction with, sex with marriage you've got an unhappy husband you've got an un, unfulfilled unconnected you know if you've got an unhappy husband you probably have an unhappy wife because nobody wants to meet each other's needs if nobody's needs are getting met mm -hmm. so again i just need one of them to make the change and we yeah. can change it and and then we're also more vulnerable to outside influences so you know if we can make this an important part of a great marriage you just you protect yourself. You're, you're, you're just less vulnerable to all of the crap out there. So true. It's so, so true. It's kind you. of a big deal. Yeah, it is a big, it is a big deal. Um, and that actually follows us right into the next question that sex as is such an important part of our marriage that I, like I said, I call it foundational. 
And if it's not good, it does affect everything. Um, I love the quote you had in there from President Kimball. Oh my gosh, I've never heard it. And that, um, that sex incapability is the root cause of divorce. Yeah. And like he said, it might not be what's talked about in the actual divorce, you know, in the, in the, in the divorce in the courtroom, but that that is a root cause. So that kind of tells you how important it is. It's so important. Um, and so, and you've already kind of clarified this question that, that because of that, that is the reason why it is important that women take the time to embrace their sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. And it's up to us who's going to do it. Yeah. I think that quote is so good. I just pulled it up. It's actually in the, the introduction, in introduction of that book as well. Um, and so I just thought I would read it cause it's so great, but it's like, he says here, um, uh, divorces often occur over sex if you study the divorces as we have had to do in these past years and this is old this is an old yeah. quote too yeah um, you will find that there are many reasons generally sex is the first they did not get along sexually they may not say that in the court they may not even tell that to their attorneys but that is the reason and we do know that sex is up there in you know it may not be number one right now but it's definitely right up there at the top it's you know, money, finances, you know, in-laws, household responsibilities, those are all up there, but sex is definitely with. And sex is probably higher up there than with the prolifer proliferation of pornography as well. Yeah, so. I imagine, I imagine for sure. Okay, so now I want to move over into teaching children about sex. Yeah. Um, your part in there is fantastic. I absolutely loved it. Um, I wish, like I said, I would have known. I, I did not have anybody teach me. I, so I never had that experience. And when it came time to teaching my kids, I was like a deer in the headlights. Uh, what do I do? How do I say, you know? And luckily my husband, he's really good at it. He taught the first three. He did it all on the first three. Wow. And so I was really grateful. I was really That's grateful awesome. for him. Um, but I love how you talk about if we would be more open, if we would share more openly with our children at a young age, that it takes away their curiosity about sex and wanting to discover things on their own. Can you discuss a little bit more about this? Yeah, I think, you know, you've kind of already mentioned it, but, you know, the key is just this, we're trying to change the, the taboo energy surrounding sex to change it to a very comfortable, accessible confident, casual conversation where, you know, in today's society, if you're kind of not having a fairly open, ongoing conversation with your kids, I guarantee they're learning it somewhere else. And you're not going to be happy about what they're learning. Because I mean, this, this ongoing conversation that we need to be having is, is, um, you're, you're helping, you're needing to un teach a bunch of things they're learning everywhere else. Mm -hmm. And if you don't stay kind of caught up with that, you know, you're going to get way behind. And um, so that it, it is really an important thing to, to be doing. And, and I think that ideally, and I don't want to, I don't want to give people a reason to not talk to their kids, but ideally if we can get couples to get their crap together, then they are going to naturally be able to teach and, provide a feel about sex that's just so much easier and healthier and right mm -hmm. that 
it'll be a lot easier to do. But I don't want people to not do it if they haven't got it all figured out themselves. But we, we are looking for that, that comfortable, and that's why, you know, the last three chapters of the book, of, and they were not ashamed, I walk people through how to even practice in the mirror some of these conversations so that it, so that you fake it as well as possible. Yes, yes. No big deal. I love the realness of that because it is true. I mean, you're talking to your 12-year-old son and you're like, oh, you know, sometimes we do. We almost need to practice it. Like, okay, yep. I can say these words. I can say these words, you know. Yep. And, and, and I do believe that as we do it and as we work on it, it's going to get easier. It's yep. going to get better. And we're going to see the benefits. We're going to yep. see the benefits of them learning from us. Because I know when my kids were all young, we, we learned, um, my husband and I, and I, when we were young married, that their first impression of sex is going to be, is going to be their lasting impression. Yeah. And so if we can set that first impression, how much more powerful that is than if yeah. somebody else does it. Yeah, and you also bring up a good point, just even in our response to anything sexual, this includes how you change a, ch a child's diaper, this includes how you respond if you happen to, to catch them looking at themselves, trying to figure themselves out at young ages, how you respond if you catch a teenager looking at porn, all of those things contribute to their sexual conditioning and their sex education. And so that's why if, again, just if parents have done all of this work that you're having these women do, then all of the responses are just a little bit different now because of that work yeah. that they've done. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a part of their condition of that process as well. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay, so my next question is, I have a son who just got engaged. So we are super, super excited. And I so want to give them this book and have yeah. them read it. But as we had our, um, one of our webinars that we do online, one of the, you know, several of the moms are like, but what do you do? How do you keep them safe? Because it's really going to arouse some feelings and stuff. And so do you have any advice on that to moms as we want to share this with these engaged couples? Yeah, I, I don't know that it's so much advice, but just things to think through is that every child is so different, of course. And so, and, and, and where things are at with them and what's going on is such, you know, so only a parent can make a really good advice right here based on that child. But here are some concepts that I would think with. Number one, I really don't like the idea anymore of couples going into marriage or into a honeymoon without a fairly decent dose of this information. I really, it, it, I'm working with couples 15, 17, 20 years into marriage that we messed it up so bad that first night that we are still undoing the damage. So that's my first context. Mm -hmm. So secondly then, okay, so there's a lot of different ways we can do it. Women, I think, are a different story because, again, we're four steps away from desire, mm -hmm. so, and our arousal is just a slower build. So I think that the girls can pretty much read this almost any time unless they personally know that they struggle with feelings like this. If they, Because women are becoming a little bit more likely to, to move into compulsivity, sexual compulsivity, uh, porn addiction, that is becoming a little bit more normal, normal um, or more uh, not normal, frequent. Yeah. Um, and so it, unless that's in the mix, I almost am fine with any girl reading any of this stuff 
even after the age of 18. I mean, my daughter's, I have a daughter on a mission for our church right now. And I mean, I, she, we, I would have let her read my first book before she left, but I was like, you know, honey, there's not really a point you're leaving in a couple months, but yeah, if you want to read it when you get back, if you want to read them both when you get back, no big deal. So it's different for girls than it is for guys. Okay. Now for your son, I think that still there's probably a way that I would try to figure out how to make that work for my son. That might be they, he only reads it out in the living room. Um, he doesn't read it with her. He reads it on his own. And then maybe they talk about it if they're at a public place. Um, I, I would just brainstorm and think outside the box a little bit and talk to him and, and have him try it and see what it was like. And if that conversation is pretty open and casual, yeah. you're going to be able to kind of go, I might need to wait. Okay. Then you better wait to read it. Okay. Then let me tell you a few things you better know before you go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and okay. having your mother tell you is less going to be less arousing. <laughs> oh, Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> so true. Hey, well, that's our we just found an answer. <laughs> it is. Moms, you just need to teach your sons. Can I take your totally. Do you well, get that, Trina? Do you yes. get that? Yeah, yeah. So, and do you have an opinion on, like, that before they're getting ready to go, get married? Um, cause I've always told my husband, I'm like, I really want you to talk openly. You know, I had to have a discussion with Thailand and making sure that, you know, he knew everything he needed to know going into it. Um, I don't know how much he really did do cause I wasn't there. Do you suggest it always be the same gender that's doing that or can the mom do it for the son? What is yeah, that? that's, that's similar to how I talk about how to even do that first, you know, some of those other conversations, you know, sometimes it works better when a child doesn't feel ganged up on with there's two parents. Wow. Sometimes it works better when the same gender parent does it. Sometimes it works better when just any parent will do it and whoever will do it, that's the one we have do it. Yeah. Cause yeah. there's usually one spouse that's a little more blah, like yeah. me. And then one that's a little more normal and mellow and, and doesn't want to talk about that stuff as much. So whoever's willing, it, it's fine. If, I mean, ideally, I would imagine, I mean, I don't have any kids married yet, but they're all older. I would imagine all of my kids could have a conversation with both my husband and I there. But I can still imagine individually talking with them because it's just it's just different to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation yeah. than to have a two-on-one -on -one conversation. Yeah. And at the very minimum, I'm still a little nervous because I don't think the information is widespread enough for, for even parents to know that I still would almost want these kids to read chapter three, four, and five of my first book and or my second book. Because I don't think a parent is going to tell them enough. Like, oh, by the way, a girl is four steps away from desire. She yeah. has to decide and she has to be talked into it. That's emotionally connected with. And then touched into it, a little bit of arousal. And then she has desire. So, that, you know, I, I, I can't imagine very many dads yeah. knowing that much no. and thinking it that well. Mm -hmm. And if they aren't, if they don't have that, I, I really would rather they read a book. Yeah, that's true. That's so, true. I like that. And I also am going to suggest that they take the book with them on their honeymoon. Absolutely. And that should be like a big study resource. Required. Um, yep. I, I totally think, oh, how valuable that would be. Yeah. How valuable.
And that will be exactly the same with, you know, my knowing her intimately and then knowing him sexually. That could, be, that could easily be a study time of a, a honeymoon if people really yeah. wanted to. Yeah. Because it's just information people don't have enough of. Yeah. You know, oh, I love that. I love that. I'm so grateful that you have chosen to have this be your path in life. You are helping so many people and I, I pray that it just keeps snowballing and we just get the word out and that women start feeling comfortable talking about it. And especially women that have struggles, that yeah. there's a resource somewhere that they can communicate with and learn from that's safe and not extremely worldly because obviously we're, we're so gun shy about yeah. anything like that. And so this is a really safe place. So yeah. I'm super, Trina, that's exactly what we're going to do. That that's what I'm going to do. No matter. I mean, that's, you know, unless the Lord comes down at himself and says, yeah, stop doing that. This is what I think I'm called to do. And that's what I think I'm going to do. And I have no interest in stopping no matter who gets in the way. So I love it. I love it. Okay. So my last question, I have been so anxious to ask you this question. <laughs> One of my clients she actually saw you in Boise. They lived in Boise, her and her husband, and they loved you, and then they moved. Um, but she said, I just said, so what did you think of her? How, how did you guys connect with her? And she goes, you know, the one thing my husband and I both agreed upon is how feminine she is. And this is something I, this is part of what I work with women because the world has masculated up. We are so masculine, we take on way too much accountability which that's a masculine trait. We don't have the testosterone to handle how much accountability we do take on. And then also just, we're not connected to our feminine side. And we let go of, it's like, I teach women that after they get married, they become intense. This intense woman comes into play. And we forget the contentness and the playfulness and the spontaneity and even connected to spiritual um, there's all these areas that we kind of give because we're now taking over <laughs> the relationship and trying to make sure he's civilized and saved and have this whole concept that I teach them. And so one of the things we do every month is I have a um, feminine challenge, something that they have to do weekly to help them embrace their femininity. So how you working in a masculine world because you know you're obviously working with clients you're hearing all of them their issues and then you have to go home and somewhere you have to transition what do you do because i can even feel it talking with you that you have embraced your femininity um how do you do that is it because you talk about sex all day <laughs> well, you're, you're close. I think a big part of it is, number one, all of the self-development work I've had to do is, is it naturally brings you to more of this wholeness place. And, and, part of, and then the second part of it is to actually embrace your sexuality, you're embracing your femininity. Oh, I you are. That. And that's why I can see God's hand in why sexuality is so important and why it feels sometimes like the crowning jewel of a marriage. Yeah. I mean, it's the one thing you can, you know, you know, according to, you know, Christian thinking, it's the one thing you can have in marriage that you can't really have anywhere else. Yeah. And it, you know, that sexual relationship is so profound. And I, ch I totally chuckle to hear this question because I literally am a very 
masculine personality, <laughs> really annoying and obnoxious to my poor husband, but I'm actually very, I've got all of those driven, independent, aggressive. I'm naturally that just with personality. Mm -hmm. So that makes it almost a little tougher mm -hmm. where I'm not the normal feminine characteristics naturally. Yeah. So all of those have been developed for me. And that's why I said number one was just the self-development work that you do. You kind of come into your own. You come into, you know, if you're doing good therapeutic self-development work, you're becoming your more, your divine self, yeah. what you yeah. were always supposed to be. Yeah. And I think sexuality just seals the deal on you developing your femininity. I also think that there are, you know, a couple kind of specific things. Letting men, you're letting your husband, not letting, but honoring and respecting your husband as he is, is also a way you practice your femininity. Because if we, I mean, again, I'm, I'm the worst offender because I already am so driven, proactive, you know, type A, red personality, anyway, that I have to really be attentive to that in order to keep that balance between everybody has masculine and feminine traits. My job was just a little bit tougher to develop the feminine ones and to minimum, you know, take the masculine ones down a bit. But again, it's doable. And it, and it's just symbolic or symptomatic for me of what wholeness looks like. I love that. And, it, and, and you validate the fact that it's a conscious effort. We have to consciously choose, okay, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to do better at this. That if we don't ever choose to do that, it's not going to just happen naturally on its own. We yeah. have to consciously be working towards, you know, self-improvement, the self-help, pushing ourselves. Yep. And I love that. I love that. I'm and all that's what marriage is all about. Yeah. Marriage is all about self-development. I think God's primary purpose for marriage, why it's the crowning jewel of, I think, his plan for us is in marriage, um, you, you can't get away with not fixing the areas you need to fix or your marriage won't survive or thrive. Yeah. And then whatever marriage doesn't cover, parenting comes along. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so true. <laughs> if there's any missing areas, it's going to be found, eventually yeah. found. We will point it out very directly. <laughs> very directly. <laughs> yes, for sure. So we will end on this one last question. Is there any one thing you wished all women knew and understood? I think the number one thing I want to say is you can do this. Women can do this. I mean, I've done this. I know that this is what God would have women get and understand and embrace and bask in. And, and so related to that is, is embrace, you know, embrace your sexuality, nurture your sexuality, develop this part of yourself, not just, not just for your husband. I, I talk about in chapter one of my second book, these three levels of sexuality. Level one is I do sex. And I don't want to, but I do it for my husband and I'm kind of angry about it. Mm -hmm. Level two is I've got a better attitude. I still am mostly doing it for my husband, but it's at least pleasant and sort of enjoyable. Level three is what I'm shooting for, which is I've embraced it. It's part of my wholeness. It's part of what makes me complete and alive. And I am doing it for me and for him. And that makes it all the more 
awesome. And that's how we can move towards what I believe we all are capable of, which is a sex extraordinary marriage. It's an awesome marriage with that extra wonderful piece of the sex part too. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for your time. It was fun. I just, I really admire the work that you're doing and I just want to yell at the top of my lungs to everyone. You got to read this book. I might have to like do a church talk and stand up and say it and really shock everybody. Yeah, I'm so grateful that you're doing this. I'm so grateful to anyone out there that is trying to do something in this category because it's such a tough, tough area. And I think that's why I love this so much is that I know that it's difficult. So there's my masculine positive coming in is that I'm kind of excited by the challenge instead yeah. of scared by it. Yeah. And so I think God knew that. And he used that to his advantage, and sure. we're going to get this done. <laughs> awesome. So, so great. Well, thank you so much. We look forward to, we're going to eventually later on this year, read this one as our book club. I will read it before then. But I'm super excited, and I wish you the very best. Thanks so much, Trina. And good luck to all your ladies. I'm, I'm cheering them on. All right. Thank you so much. You betcha. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me today for Laura Brotherson's part two of her interview. If you have found that this interview has been helpful to you and you know other women in your life that would benefit from this interview, please share it with them. I want to create a, a safe place to be able to help women learn the importance of connecting to their sexual being. I feel like Laura offers that for all of us. So this is an incredible resource for all women to be able to have access to. As always, I want to thank you for listening and for taking the time to be intentional in your life and your marriage by listening to my podcast. I want to applaud you for that. And I want to thank you for your support. And I look forward to continuing this relationship and with sharing with you next week. Thanks so much. Have a great week.